0: Welcome to Tom Rhodes Radio. Thank you for listening. I just got back from Europe where I had an epic tour. I did shows in Amsterdam, Paris, Barcelona, and London. Yeah, wow. What a great life I'm having. I want to thank everybody who came out to the shows and supported me. It absolutely tickles the living shit out of me when I meet people after shows who love my podcast. And speaking of those people, I want to give a special shout-out to Owen, From Galway, Ireland. Hey, thanks, Owen. You flew all the way from Galway to London to see me perform at the Soho Theatre. I really appreciated that. That Soho Theatre run was really important to me because it was the first time that I had ever played a theatre in London with my name on the bill. And thanks to Briani Shipston. Hey, thanks, Briani, for writing nice things about me and my podcast for Chortle Comedy Magazine. All of the support like that Uh, Really goes a long way And I really was thrilled That the Soho Theater was packed when I was in London I recorded some great Future episodes for Tom Rhodes Radio That's going to be coming on soon I've been in Los Angeles for the past week Uh, It's nice Not to be getting rained on in Europe For a moment I went to a friend of mine's uh, Oscar party On Sunday Did you see the Academy Awards?
1: For
0: those of you watching around the world, it has been a tough couple of days for us here. It has been raining. We're fine. Thank you for your prayers. I thought the 86th Academy Awards ceremony was a defining moment in American history. Because, number one, we had an openly gay female host. I remember when it was the first female host, and I think that's where we are in the world, in the United States. We're beyond oversimplified labels of the first woman to do something, the first gay person to do something, and the first black person. I mean, everyone's already done everything, and every flavor of humans. So we've kind of moved beyond that now. You know, the United States is screwed up in every way imaginable, economically, politically, our foreign policy. Uh, But the one thing you can't fuck with us is entertainment. Entertainment is our greatest export to the world. And I loved the Academy Awards. I thought it was a real celebration of greatness and diversity uh, because so many diverse people had done great things in the film industry this year. I loved Lupita Nyongan from Kenya winning the best supporting actress and saying, wherever you are in the world, your dreams are valid. Uh, Alfonso Curzon or Curon, Mexican guy, won the best director. Who else? I loved the movie The Great Beauty. It's an Italian film and it won for the best foreign film. You got to see this movie if you can. It's a story about a once celebrated writer. He's now in his 50s. He lives in Rome. He's in his twilight years, and he's looking back on his life wasted partying and living the high life. And he's trying to find new inspiration now that his youth has been squandered away. Uh, I thought the movie pretty much encapsulated the entertainment industry and in many ways life in the world today. You should see it if you get a chance. My favorite film of last year was Blue Jasmine. I think Blue Jasmine was Woody Allen's best film of his career. And I think it was single-handedly the best movie, in my opinion, of last year. There's no way Kate Blanchett couldn't have won the best actress. She is so despicable and unlikable at the beginning of this film. You absolutely have no sympathy for this woman. And then by the end of the film, I found myself wanting something nice to happen to her. And I had sympathy for her. That movie stayed with me for days. And I think she... Uh, has redefined the gold standard of batshit crazy female characters that Vivian Lee held for so many years with her portrayal of Blanche DuBois in Streetcar Named Desire. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Hey, Matt. Good on you, buddy. Good to see Matthew McConaughey winning an award for the AIDS movie. Again, um, I loved he got up there and he talked about God and his dead father. It really reminded me of 10, 20 years ago when he got arrested for in Austin, Texas, for being naked and smoking pot and playing his bongos. Uh, I felt like I was right there with him, the whole world. We were with him when he was naked and smoking pot and playing bongos. But now, when he plays bongos naked, he's got a gold medal statue on his mantle. And then, 12 Years a Slave won at the end. Steve McQueen, best name in show business, hugs his Dutch wife before he got up there and said a lot of beautiful things and thanked a lot of people. Everyone
1: deserves not just to survive, but to live. This is the most important legacy of Solomon Northup. I dedicate this award to all the people who have endured slavery, and the 21 million people who still suffer slavery today.
0: And I was thrilled that 12 Years a Slave won for best picture. Because in Ellen DeGeneres' opening monologue joke, she said that if 12 Years a Slave doesn't win for Best Picture, it just proves that we're all racist. So according to her joke, the fact that it won, it proves that we're not racist. It's just a thought. This episode was recorded in Paris with today's guest, Sebastian Marx. I met Sebastian the last time I was in Paris about a year and a half ago. I did these shows uh, that I've done for years in Paris. It turns out Sebastian has got this new young hot comedy scene. He started a room in Paris Uh, He does a a comedy night in English and in French. So you got all these expatriate young comedians doing the English nights uh, in San Van Roy from Holland and people from different countries as well. But then he's also got this French language scene, and it's young comedians and older French comedians, and it's pretty cool what's happening in Paris uh, in regard to stand-up comedy right now. And it's all thanks to Sebastian. Uh, I loved him when I met him. He's from New York. His parents are from Argentina. Boom, boom. Of course, I'm going to love that and love him. And he's a really smart, gentle, funny guy. I couldn't believe it. I saw him do an hour show in Paris last year when I was there. And I just, I'm just blown away whenever I see an English-speaking person speaking another language, whether it's a American, Canadian... Australian, Ireland, English person, whatever. I just find it so impressive when you have people living in different countries and they know the language. Uh, Sebastian and I had set this up, uh, this gig at his new theater at So Gymnase, which is on the Grand Boulevard, really cool part of Paris that I had never seen before. Uh, It's a cool little room he's got. It doesn't seat very many. uh, Maybe 80 people packed. Uh, there 's some old beat up couches in there, which makes it really comfortable and cozy. The stage is perfect, low ceilings intimate, intimate, fabulous room for comedy uh, it 's kind of got kind of a beat up old curtain that needs to be replaced, but it 's really cool, and I think it 's pretty much the spot for comedy uh, in for co- doing a comedy club in Paris. Uh, Sebastian made me a cake. ...for the 30th anniversary of me being a stand-up comedian, uh, and he put 30 candles on it. We recorded this episode the very next day. I had a wonderful time. Uh, I ate crepes, uh, went to a museum, saw Voltaire's grave, saw the Super Bowl, hung out with Sebastian. It was freezing, but it's so fun to be in Paris and walk around with an umbrella and to hear the pop and the snap of the umbrella when it starts to rain. Uh, I love Paris. I love Sebastian Marx. And I love talking about stand-up comedy. So here's everything you need to know about the stand-up scene in Paris from the one and only Sebastian Marx. Sebastian Marks, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Sebastian Marks. Yes. Now, how does a lovable guy from New York City end up in Paris? Oh, well, long story.
1: Uh, (laughs) I was with a French girl. I met a French girl in in New York, and uh, I was 23 at the time. And I was looking for adventure and uh, fell in love with the girl. And uh, we were doing a long-distance thing for a little while and uh, decided to try give give it the old... uh, Expat try and I went out to Paris to follow her. I actually, I was in Toulouse for several years. So she was uh, from Toulouse, which is in the southwest. And uh, we got, uh, in order to stay together, we got married. Uh, right off the bat, let's go. <laughs> and uh, so that way we could stay together. And um, so I was in Toulouse for about five years with her. And didn't work out. And uh, we got divorced, and I came up to Paris about four years ago, four or five years ago, four and a half
0: years ago now. Was it an American-French friction thing that certain...
1: No, no, I don't think it was a cultural thing that made it not work out. I mean, she was uh, ten years older than I was. Okay. So God knows, I mean, there's so many aspects playing out. Yeah. You got the age difference, you got the cultural difference, and also not only cultural France, America, but also just like... You know, she was from uh, Toulouse, which is uh, in southwest, you know, I'm I'm, I'm coming from a big city, Uh, she was coming more from a provincial city, and uh, there was also kind of a a, a difference. I mean, I remember, just for an example, she would kind of uh, say that I wasn't a man enough because I wasn't able to fix a light bulb. You know, uh, I can change a light bulb, but like there was like a problem in the you apartment. Plow a field. Yeah, yeah, I could. The rural activities.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, the rural activities. But even just like. You know how to gut a pig?
1: Yeah, yeah. I definitely did not know how to gut a pig, but unfortunately uh, that was not one of my uh, tests in in our relationship. But but even just like handiwork around the house. And I remember like her definition of of a man was kind of like what her father was. You know, was very manual, and uh, her her father like was in construction. You know, and and so. Uh, where my I came from a very intellectual kind of family. Like my dad couldn't do anything, uh, any sort of handiwork. So that was another kind of difference uh, playing into the whole thing. And uh, well, so okay,
0: you're from New York City. I'm, I'm
1: from Westchester, which is the suburbs of the city. Okay,
0: Fancy Pants Fancy
1: Fancy Pants Phil. I I have a joke about this. I say that it's uh, I grew up in the Truman Show that my mother was a desperate housewife my father was a madman and i was dreaming of sex in the city so so that's i mean that's where i grew up it was very like a very much like a bubble you know it's a very cushy uh, suburb of of new york so it's great you have new york you know a half hour but where we are is you know it's like house after house after house and so it was kind of cut off uh, from the real world at the same time, ironically, even, you know, having New York. So were you bored out of your mind in Toulouse? Uh, yeah, I was very bored. I mean, you know, it was, I found activities because, you know, I was, the, the thing that was active for me, you know, the kind of activities I found was learning French, you know, which I knew nothing. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know one word of French before coming to France. And this was kind of like, a, you know, uh, I wanted to, have a big adventure. I wanted to kind of throw everything out. You know, I kind of lost touch with my American friends um, consciously. And I wanted to kind of start anew and just really uh, travel and really know what it is to live elsewhere. Uh, You know, I, I grew up in the New York metropolitan area. I went to school in Boston. Boston, you know, had lots of fun in Boston, great city. But, you know, wanted to see really something totally different. And I think I wanted to get lost, you know, and get in a place where I don't know anybody and don't speak the language and see, you know, if I can uh, handle it myself, you know what I mean, without, you know, anybody's help. Uh, And uh, so that was interesting. That was a nice test. And um, so, yeah, it was, uh, I was getting bored pretty quickly. I mean, you know, Toulouse is a nice city. It's very pleasant. It's a great city if you want to do nothing. The south of France is great if you want to do nothing. And that's what I did for a while, and you know, learned uh, French. But I, I saw very uh, early on that if I wanted to do anything in my field, you know, I did stand up before going to France. I, I okay, started.
0: so stand up was on your radar,
1: definitely. I, I started at the same age you did. I started when I was 17. I, I took a class in the city, uh, and at the end of the like the course, which was like probably I don't remember, like two month long course you perform uh, your set on at Caroline's, you know, on kind of like a, an open mic night, and that's what I did, and f- so the first time I hit the stage I was 17, and then afterwards it, it went very well, and, and so afterwards I, I did lots of clubs in Manhattan um, kind of, <laughs> I remember I did a club very often called the Don't Tell Mamas which was on Restaurant Row, which is 46th Street uh, on the west side and um, it was kind of a cabaret bar and they had this back room that usually had cabaret but also stand-up comedy and I was performing there pretty regularly as a 17-year-old and it, I didn't know at the time but I guess it was a cabaret gay bar um, and uh, I loved that. That was great. You know, that was so much fun. And um, Why? Just because gay people are so encouraged? <laughs> just, no, but just like I felt like Uh, Kind of, you know, uh, talking about growing up in a sort of bubble, it's like, okay, well, now, you know, I'm an adult, you know, 17 going into the city and going to a club where if I were a client, I wouldn't be able to get in, you know, you would have to be at 18, if not 21 to get into this club. I was the comic, one of the comics on the showcase, so I was, you know, performing places I wasn't even legally allowed to get into. That's cool. Gay people, uh, I didn't, the guy who ran the night, what, one of the guys was was gay, but that, you know, he was just nice, whether gay or not, you know what I mean? So, yeah, the, the the aspect that I loved was, well, just getting up on stage. Uh, and and also kind of having this kind of underground uh, adult feel very early on. That, that was very fun. So you
0: just gave up your comedy dream and moved to Toulouse?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, in, in between that, I went to, to school, uh, and, and I worked at Comedy Connection. Which in was Boston, right, in right, the Boston, right, right, right. So, so, what, I, started, you were, so uh, I continued the career in Boston, and so I was performing stand-up and sketch. I had a sketch group as well that I I founded with uh, some college friends. And, so I, and then I think it was... Um, Freshman sophomore year, I started working at, at the at the Comedy Connection, which is the number one club in Boston. We had tons of uh, headlining comedians from all over the place, and that I continued performing and working the bar at the same time. Uh, so, and then yeah, I gave up everything when I came to France. I didn't think I was gonna you know I didn't come to perf- pursue comedy in France. No one does that, especially not in Toulouse. Um, so, yeah, I kind of gave it up. I
0: kind of was like okay, really wanted to. S- Start from scratch. So when that relationship ended in yeah. Toulouse, how did you end up in Paris? You just, I said, you know, like, I'm in love with the country. I'm not going to leave. Not even so much that. It was just like, I said to
1: myself, okay, it's been four or five years I've been in France. I now speak the language. I can either go back home, you know, go back to New York, start, you know, another life from scratch, or okay, give myself a year, go to Paris. I mean, very. It's very early on, as I said, it was very clear that Paris is a center in France. It's not like uh, in the United States, where, well, first of all, the United States, you know, population was like five times the amount of population, amount of people as in France, and you have many poles of cultural and the entertainment industry. You know, you have New York and L.A. as the major polls, but you also have, you know, Chicago, San Francisco, Boston, especially, you know, in the comedy field. France is not the same way. For, France is very uh, centered around Paris in, in all sorts of uh, realm, you know, economic, social, cultural. And um, so I was like, okay, it, I was like, if I'm going to do anything here, it has to be in Paris. And so I uh, said, okay, I'll give myself a year uh, before running back home. I was, you know, it was also a pride thing. I didn't want to kind of run back home with my, uh, like on a failure. Right. You know, with my tail in between my legs, you know, going back to my, my family, well, my parents and friends kind of saying like, oh, well, you know, that didn't work out, uh, and now I'm starting from scratch. No, I wanted to at least go back on a victory. So I, you know, I guess it was kind of an ego thing. And so I gave myself a year to see if one of the following things could work out, either cinema, because that's what I majored in, I majored in film, or the stage, or comedy. And, um very quickly I started uh, performing in French so now that, that was another reason I was like okay I speak French well enough that I can perform now in French and uh, very early on even though you know by the standards of what I can do now I wasn't doing stuff that was that was that great at the time I, I, I saw that there was potential in what I was doing which was you know the American speaking French making French people laugh in French you know it was like okay I'm not a tourist, I'm not here a week. You know, I speak your language now, I know your culture, I'm going to kind of talk about your culture in your language to you as an American. And I saw there was a very big potential in that very early on, and that first year already, you know, I was already starting to perform a full hour in French within that year, and you know, even though it was just the beginning, I saw that there was potential, It's like, okay, it's worth staying And every year, I still kind of do an assessment, but, well, you know, every year it's just gone better and better. Um, And now I do uh, comedy in both languages.
0: Yeah, I think as a a non-French-speaking visitor to France, French people are really impressed if you know or just make an effort to speak a few words, the basics. Definitely, yeah. They seem very, uh, their faces light up. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially when an American is trying to speak uh, a little bit of french to them so definitely they must um cream in their pants yeah i mean what, when you when you're on stage cuz i came here i met you a year and a half ago when yeah. i was in paris and you came and you, i came to your hour show yeah, yeah. and uh, oh my god i'm i'm impressed number one you know that you can perform for an hour in french and yeah. it's not your mother tongue and um French people must lose their minds over there. Well, yeah, I mean
1: it's 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 cool. And, well, I mean that's that's my my selling point. I mean that's why I'm on French radio now. is because I have this angle that's pretty unique. That I know the culture very well, and that I speak their language, and I play with the language. You know, I mean, but that's my advantage. Someone who um, who doesn't who's coming from another language can see. Uh, things that are very funny in, in another language. You know, if, if a, a Spanish speaker starts speaking English and, and starts to talk about the expression kick the shit out of someone, we don't think about it literally anymore. But the person you know, hears that. It's very violent. It's a very violent image. Right. You know, and can actually just explore that and, and kind of remind us, saying, oh, yeah, that is a silly expression, or, you know, that is a hard expression. And so that's what I kind of do a lot with the French language, where, you know, I sometimes are like, well, why do you say this? This is weird. And they don't even notice it's weird anymore. And so that's, you know, that's a big advantage when you're coming from another culture. And also exploring, you know, the French obsession with wine, for example, which is kind of a, a piece that I did on the radio uh, this week, was, was, you know, pointing out to the French people their own culture that they've forgotten just because it's so normal to them. Um and so yes, that is uh a big advantage, and I do feel like they they appreciate it. Is it true that water is more expensive than wine in France? That that uh tea is more expensive. Well you saw, yeah, you saw that bit uh, that I did at the Yeah, opening you did it the other day? Yeah. Uh yeah, well it, well tea is more expensive. If you go sit down at a restaurant or a brasserie, uh tea is like usually 3.50 if not 4 euros. And um, wine is usually 2 to 3. Or even bottled water can be 3, 350. And, you know, wine is 2 to, or 3 euros, a glass of wine, of course. So, yeah, it's funny, you know. But that's in the States, that would never happen. But here, it's normal. What are some of the oddest, bizarre things about French culture? Uh, huh. I don't know if there's... Um, I think like their, their language ticks, but also, you know, and I've kind of gotten some heat about this, well, heat, some comments about this, that, you know, we as Americans mix up Parisian and France. The French, there are two kinds of French people, Parisians and the rest of France. Um, so our cliche is mostly of Parisians, the kind of this people with an attitude, you know, smoking, you know, think they're the the... You know, really arrogance, kind of having um, an ego about themselves. This is more the Parisian uh, cliché. Uh, so what about French people? That is weird. That probably stands out. Um, so I was about to say some things that are about you know, Parisians, but that's pretty Parisian-specific. Like, lack of smiling. It's amazing how few people smile. And I'm coming from New York. You know, people in New York don't easily smile to any stranger. But when I go back to New York, I realize, well, New York is not a cold city. You know, if you pull out a map, usually someone will say, are you lost, and they're not trying to mug you. You know, that's, you know, at least in Manhattan. You know, if where Paris, you won't get mugged, but, you know, it's not a dangerous city. But just people don't smile. Like, even if you're being waited on, you know, you don't get a smile. It's... it's uh and, and well, now I'm used to it. Well, uh, and your your new partner—are you married again to this? Uh, one? No, I'm not. Because you just had a child? We just had a child, and and I think it's it's funny because I'm kind of living the French cliche, like uh, kind of the the Tim Robbins, Susan Sarandon modern way of life. It's just like we well, have. Yeah, I don't. F- we don't need to marry in France to have a kid together. Like legally uh, speaking, I don't know. I, I guess there's this kind of traumatism that I had with my first wife that is just like. Why ever do it again? Why? Like, the, yeah, I didn't see the need. Um, and the main reason why I got married to the first wife, we were together, but it so you could w- stay. W- w- was so that we could stay in the same country. If we were both American, if we were both French, we wouldn't have done it. You know, it was uh, a mix of for the papers and just to, stay t- to stay together. So now I'm in France, I don't need to get married to stay here, you know, and so I don't see the point. Uh, and I kind of felt like it was such a nightmare, the whole just divorce and like breakup is already so hard the whole like legalization of it. It's not something that my girlfriend either, she believes in. Um, I guess I haven't talked right, cause, about you know,
0: so many, I mean, you're is comedians. We only have our life experience to draw from. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we've talked about this the last couple nights, um, but like some stories that I'm telling in my show right now, it took me years yeah. before I was able to talk about
1: it. I mean, that's what I realized, you know, and, and you know, I'm a big fan of Louis C.K., who's, you know, kind of a big reference right now and, you know, this big um, tendency right now, I feel, is to peel the layers off, get to the center and, and find our own truths as comics and deliver them on stage. And that is my my goal. But it's hard, you know, and, and I realize that I know consciously that's the direction I need to head in. But when it actually comes down to doing it, uh, I still hesitate because I, I haven't figured out how. And when, when I see you do the jokes that you did when, when, you know, these last two nights, I'm like, yes, you know, and, 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 and I'm very, uh, I admire that, you know. And, and why? I say to myself, why does it take so long? If I know it consciously, if I know in my head... Why can't I just say, fuck it, do it, talk about anything, you know, uh, any nitty-gritty uh, little secret that you might have. And that's, you know, that's why I like the jokes you've done. That's why I like Louis C.K. That's why I like What the Fuck podcast, because it's amazing how the comics are just talking about themselves. And I feel that our goal is to tell the truth, whether it be political, social, emotional, or personal. You know, like, our goal as stand-ups is, is, you know,
0: is to kind of deliver that. Truth in one form or another. So, Amen, brother. Yeah. So you started this hot new young scene in Paris, and you've got an English language um, open mic night comedy scene, and then you also have a French language yeah. open mic comedy scene. Yeah, uh, is is one more pure and truth-driven than the other? You're talking about my sets in both languages? Yeah. No, 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 or, no. The scene the, in general. But, but in general. sure,
1: let's start with you. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think I'm more honest. Uh, well, I, I'm more... Obviously in English. And In English, you'd, I'm more... You'd be more expressive. And, I'm more expressive, and I test more. It's easier for me to test material. And because I'm running the nights, I'm, you know, quote-unquote, forced to be on stage uh, while well, already, you know, I perform my full one-man show twice a week on Fridays and Saturdays, but also I host several nights, so hosting is a great excuse me uh, opportunity to test material. So that you know that's in English it's where I kind of would write an idea that, that day and test it that night. So it's easier for me to uh, the, the the time between the birth of an idea and the testing it out on stage is very short in English. where in French uh, I feel I have to develop you know write it out. Uh, figure out and rehearse it in French before actually performing it. So that period is longer. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm sure. If like one sound is off, then the whole word and phrasing yeah, is different. Like, yeah, if language. you say U instead of "ou," you Then you're not understood. Right. So you know, and also just. I, you have to set up the, the punchline in a certain way, you have to change the sentence around, so, so that ha- requires more work in French. So, yeah, I am more spontaneous in English, that's for sure. Um, as far as the scenes, um, well, the English comedy scene is pretty new, you know, and it, it, I started it. It uh, didn't exist three years ago. And um, so the question is what if it's more...
0: What's the difference
1: between your English language scene and the French language scene? Well, the English language scene is a very particular scene because it's an expat scene. You know, all of us are uh, not, uh, well, I was about to say not French, but some of them are French performing in English. But it's, it's a weird thing because we're speaking a language that is not the country's language, so we're a very tightly knit group that we're not many, you know, it's like 20 or so comics that perform in English, so as I was kind of saying before uh, before that, that we, um, are, we kind of feel like a family, so it's a pretty close uh, tightly knit scene, where the French scene is much bigger, and that is, uh, I know lots of people now, because I've been in the French comedy scene now for four years, uh, but it's more industry It's more, you know, we're here for the career. Where the English comedy scene is more, we do it for fun. You know, I think I'm the only one out of the scene who's actually making a living off of comedy. Others are just doing it, you know, doing sets.
0: So then the the English language scene must be a lot of uh, jokes about French culture and observations. And then the the radio show that you do in French. yeah. You must be a lot of American commenting on French society and culture. Yeah, that's I mean that's my
1: that's my shtick. That's my that's my angle. So what I do is I do like a, a four minute segment on a radio show. That's an hour. So there are several, what they call chroniqueurs, which is like, you know, people who do chronicles or you know radio segments every week. And uh, you know, some one guy's kind of more of a political guy. Another person's more kind of like an everyday. Uh, joke kind of thing. My shtick is kind of the, the American in Paris. And uh, so I do this once a week. And so, yeah, that's my my definite angle is observations on, on French culture, observations on the French language. And uh, that goes over pretty well. And sometimes it's it's fun, but sometimes it's also restrictive, you know, in the sense that my accent is so strong, I can't deny it. So I have to acknowledge it. I have to, especially when I'm on stage and I'm performing a short set, five, ten minute set, I have to acknowledge the fact that I'm American, which is great. It's a great plus, but at the same time, you know, I kind of run into sometimes bad habits where this is what I'm talking about, where sometimes I just like to talk about, a joke about relation, you know, having a girlfriend, whether she be French, American, whatever. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so what are some of your best uh, observations and commentaries on... Uh, on French culture? Yeah. Uh, well, this this wine bit, which is a new bit, is,
1: is a pretty uh, successful one for the time being. And I'd say, like, French obsession with wine, that, that wine here is not alcohol. It's seen as a condiment. It's like mustard or pepper. You know, it's like something you have on a table that accompanies the meal, but it, it's not seen anymore as alcohol. And... Um, That's one thing. Well, um, well. So, anything fascination with food. I talk about their fascination with food, their expressions. I go a lot, especially when I talk about uh, my French set. I talk about their expressions, like they say uh, "pas mal" a lot, which means not bad. And uh, one of my observations, kind of slash jokes, is, is that this is the best compliment you can get. Like the best you'll get is not bad. You know, and I've had, I've come out of job interviews, you know, where someone would say something like, oh, your, your CV is pas mal, it's not bad. And I was like, fuck, you know, I'm not getting this job. And then I'd get the job. Slowly but surely, I realized that not bad is great. Like, and sometimes not bad is better than if they would say great, because then it wouldn't be honest. <laughs> like, so they're, they're, um, I have this bit where I say, like, they're very passionate, of, they're very passionate about negative things. That they're stoic about positive things, but when it comes to something negative, that's where the emotions come out. But if it's you know positive, they're very. Um, it's a pretty negative culture, right? <laughs> it's it's. Funny I, mean, to, I mean, they're they're, 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 they're sourpusses. Sour like, but yeah, but that's also a Parisian thing. It's mostly right. a Parisian thing. But yeah, um, yeah, generally they are sourpusses, and and um, but but also like they're more authentic. Like the, the kind of um, thing about friendship here is. It's harder to get friends, but when you get them, they're for life. Where, and you know, I often make comparisons with the States, and that is that uh, America's the opposite. You can make friends very easily, and people say, Oh my God, nice to see you, so good to see you. You have no idea who the person is. You know, we exaggerate in the States. And we'll give, you know, we'll be best friends right away, and then never hear from the person again, or, you know, it's superficial. Where France is, the, the the upside of this sourpuss is that they're real, you know, more real. Let's say that they want to get they're more profound, which can be heavy and annoying. But there's also the advantage to it, you know, that they're looking for meaning in lots of things.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I would almost prefer the superficial American kindness, friendliness over the authentic. Oh, I mean, I crappiness. I, I get I get so <laughs> pissed here. I mean customer service is the worst here and that's the
1: thing I totally agree with you I mean when it comes to just you know I I'm coming to your restaurant giving you money what, Can can you smile like I'm you know I'm subscribed to your internet service I have a problem can you answer the phone and can you say hi how are you doing nice day you know just something that doesn't that, that cost nothing they, it's, it, You don't get that here, and that's very frustrating. That's very frustrating. What should the rest of the world know about France and Paris? Uh, that that it's there are two sides. Like there's a tourist side that we see when you're here a week, which is very beautiful, and then, you know, I, I kind of say that like my show starts where Midnight in Paris. I don't know if you saw the movie, of course, leaves off. Uh, where, where, you know, what's interesting about Midnight in Paris is like he spends the whole film wondering if he's going to stay in Paris. And then by the end of the film, his kind of big decision is, okay, I'm going to stay. But that's where it gets hard. That's the beginning. You know, that's the real beginning. Because when you decide to stay, you know, we have these fantasies of you know, Hemingway and, and all these Americans who've come over and and Paris is still this kind of... Uh, haven for expats, but that's, you know, when you actually say, okay, I'm going to start really living here, that's when it gets difficult. And so you have to go through the shit period where you really have to adapt and figure out how it works, but then, you know, there's the light at the end of the tunnel which comes out. So there are many faces to Paris, and it's not a city that's easy. It's not an easy city. You have to kind of stick it out for a while if you want to really kind of reap the the rewards of it, and well, like any big city, that's tough, you have to know why you're here, like New York, if you don't know why you're in New York, if you have no goal, you can get eaten up very quickly, you know what I mean, uh, so, so that's very similar, in, in, uh, you know, Paris and New York are very similar in those ways, uh, but besides that, uh, you know, it's fucking, there's tons of advantages here, I mean, I love, I mean, I'm starting to take it for granted, but healthcare. There's even a, a status that You're I have. You're on a French people. system now. I'm then? on a French system. Really? And they have this this thing called a statut d'intermittent, which means they've created this unemployment system for artists. So if you work a minimum amount of like it's like I forget how much it's like 500 hours within a year, you are uh, you get the status where um, you get unemployment regularly, whether you work or not. So it's it's. A, what, what they've done is they, they set up the system where they take into account that uh, artists or actors have a weird working schedule. You know, like we can work three days and make tons of money and then not work for the rest of the month. And you can be tough periods. Yeah. So, so they take that into account. And so what the idea is that they regulate it. They regulate it and, and kind of give you money uh, every month whether you work or not. And so this is a very great system. And so it kind of gives you security, even if your income is all over the place. It, you know, I have an income every month, no matter what, thanks to that. So yeah, health care, my, my uh, education, my daughter, who's uh, a year and a half, she goes to daycare for like nothing for, you know, she goes five days a week and we pay like 100 euros a month. I don't know, you know, how much it would cost in the States, but, you know, that's not much. Um, her education is going to be taken care of. You know, just like uh, when she was born, uh, all the whole maternity. You know, I remember talking to friends out in, in back in the States when they tell me how much they spent to have their kid. You know, it's like as if on the the, the card you send out to the, the birth announcements, like it's like Americans put their... You know, the name, weight, and price of baby. You know, like, it's almost like, <laughs> you know, everyone talks about, oh, mine costs $15,000. I'm like, $15,000? Are you kidding me? Here, nothing. Right. It's taken care of. I mean, that's amazing. So, you know, the pretty big advantages to being here. Um, and uh, which are, you know, especially when you start having a kid and, and, and when you're looking for some security is, is pretty nice. And also the fact that I can work... In other parts of Europe, if that's a a desire, uh, you know there are there are advantages. And uh, even though I grew up in American culture, you know now going back, I would have to get used to that again. You know that kind of lack of security, um, that's that safety net. That, has, that Europe has. Do your
0: parents resent having a French grandchild? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all in the slightest. Snotty little bastard with a beret and a <laughs> I mean, the, the, baguette or the, the, I get tricycle. I,
1: I guess the big advantage I had was that my parents weren't American. My parents are from Argentina and so the fact that they... I already felt a bit of difference with other kids growing up in the States where the fact that I was already coming from another culture and I would go to Buenos Aires pretty often. Uh, I already felt like you know I, I had another culture. And so, also, Argentina's very European-based. They, they, they look at Paris, France and Paris, especially as the, like, Mecca of culture. And so, you know, my parents are thrilled to come to Paris. Are you kidding me? You know, they're so happy to have an excuse to come here. Uh, and the fact that, that my, my daughter's going to be, and well, my, my, my girlfriend, you know, who gets along very well, with my parents, is Francis, they love it. You know, I mean, they, they, get, they get a kid. Of course, there's a language barrier, but... That, yeah, that, you know, it's, they're so
0: happy to come here. You eat well, you know. <laughs> what else? It's, that was it's another uh, the reason I, I loved you instantly when we met was because your parents are from Argentina. Yeah, and, and my your mother's mother, from Buenos Aires. So yeah, I mean, and, it, and it's I, I have this
1: joke well because my, my grandparents are German and Austrian. And they fled Europe because of the Nazis. My parents you know, were born and raised in Argentina and And, and they went to Argentina and they're on the bus and there's all these German looking guys. <laughs> like, uh, something's <laughs> wrong. And, and so, well, they, they eventually left uh, Argentina in 78. And so my joke is, is that my grandparents fled Europe because of the Nazis. My parents fled Argentina because of the dictatorships. And I came to Europe to flee my parents. <laughs> uh, you know, like the typical Jewish story, and and uh, yeah, and also of course there were plenty of Nazis after the war who went to Argentina, and uh, so yeah, that that's a, a, a similarity. I mean, but but what I I really appreciate in your comedy and just in your way of looking at life is you're, you're a world traveler. I mean, it's amazing. You've what's so impressive is like I feel like you can be in front of any audience from anywhere in the world. And, and please, you know, and, and, and cater and please uh, a multinational audience, which, is, which I'm realizing is, uh, is an art. I mean, because when, when you strip comedy, when you take out all the slang, cultural references, uh, or even just pop culture references out of comedy, you're left with, you know, only a certain, you know, like the essentials, you know, like relationships, what it's like, you know, growing up, you know, real life things. And so uh, in, when you're forced to perform in, in front of an audience where half of, you know, 40% are French, 20% are American, 20% are British, you have to find the common ground and all that. And that's not easy. And you pull that off very well, you know. Uh, I felt you, and you, you're used to it because that's what you do. And that's, that's impressive. And also because you've been everywhere, you can say, you know, oh, you're from Malaysia, I have a joke about Malaysia. Yeah, Yeah, you know that's that's incredible. You know,
0: well that's what I find the most exciting thing when I ask is there people from different countries in the audience. In the first show we did here the other night, there were people from all over the world: Spain, Italy, Germany, everywhere. And then last night the audience was kind of predominantly French. Yeah but i have a lot of stories about france yeah what cuz you spent time maced here. and you yeah. know the first love story <laughs> i had here yeah it's hard to beat a getting maced in paris yeah. story yeah that that is a great for story real authentic Yeah, uh, paris and it's it worth the whole rolling
1: stones anecdote as well yeah <laughs> no i that's uh, uh that's a great uh, gift that i mean that that you you have it and you earned
0: and for, i have to say uh, last night my show was the thirtieth anniversary of yeah. thirty years since the day I started being a stand-up comedian, and it was really special to do an hour show in Paris. And then you baked me a cake. Yeah, you <laughs> I baked I, me I, with your with uh, your own loving hands. Yeah, I, I, it was a fondant chocolat
1: au, au beurre salé, which means it's like kind of like a, a chocolate brownie but made with uh, salted butter. So it's like really. Dark chocolate, but with like a touch of salt, and uh, it, was the, I was, it was. It was. It was. It was a great. And you had thirty candles. Uh, thirty candles. We counted them all. We counted them all, and and that uh, no, was. It was. It's a real honor to have you because, as well, I said on stage, you know, I I was um, watching you on on Comedy Central when was it must have been the '90s when I was a teenager, and and you were kind of like their poster boy. You're kind of doing like the commercials for them, and and you're doing many sets on. I don't even remember what the the shows if it was like two drink minimum or stuff yeah. like that, and uh, so yeah, it was, it was a great pleasure to to have you here and to to be able to to put you up on my little stage and the little scene here, and and, uh, and it, I was really, I was really happy that that you know
0: thirty thirty years in your career is great. Well, and I love it's what fabulous. you're doing here, man, and I think it's really unique and interesting that you know you're this. Um, guy from Argentinian, immigrant, you know, parents from New York, and then you're living in Paris, and you start this comedy scene here. So how did you start things in Paris? Well, um, I was starting to perform in in French when I first came here
1: uh, to Paris. You know, I was just like, okay, as I said, I was giving myself a year, and I was starting to perform in French and and doing kind of work in the circuit. And um, when I performed in this one place called the Pronzo, which has closed since, um, the owner uh, asked me, he's like, oh, you're American. I always wanted to start an English comedy night. Would you be interested in starting it with me? I was like, yeah, hell yeah. And so I started, so ironically, I went back into, you know, to performing English, which I hadn't done in years. And uh, when I started the scene here, I was, I was alone. So I was, I was Starting this scene every Friday, it was an it was a open mic showcase called the New York Comedy Night, which is still running, which I still run every Friday at 9:30, and um, and when I started it, I didn't have comics, I didn't have an audience, I didn't have comics. I had one Turkish guy named Man Absurd, not his real name, <laughs> and he he would do 10 minutes of material, five of which was Seinfeld jokes, and and he would just get up, and so like the night was like me doing 10 minutes, warming up the crowd. I would bring up Man Absurd, who would do 10 minutes. Then I would close the night doing 40 minutes. So, like, very early on, I had to produce an hour of material. I mean, it was really mediocre material, um, just to fill the time. And then slowly but surely, I mean, it took a while, but started having comics or people who were interested in in performing get in touch with me, and some French guys were like, oh, I always wanted to perform in English, could I get up on your nights? And uh, now, three and a half years later, it's a scene. And so that's how the the whole English stuff happened. Well, and then in the meantime, I started performing my full hour show independently of the, the New York comedy nights. You know, so now I have my own hour and I run several nights. And also we have often people coming through, I mean, you're a headliner, you know, we produced your show, but uh, often I get emails from people, especially from England, who are in town, you know, who looked up my, you know, my nights, and they're like, hey, I'm in town, I would love to perform ten minutes on your night, can I do it? And so what's cool is that the word has gotten out in the States, in England, uh, even in Ireland, you know, even Australia, and that, that, you know, people are like, hey, when you're in town,
0: Look up Paris. So you well, yeah, right here.
1: Yeah, and, and if you know, if you're watching.
0: And what's your, your Twitter? Is at Comedy Paris at, yeah, and then n- at New York Comedy? No, at Comedy
1: Paris is the New York Comedy Night okay. uh, Twitter. And so that's, that's yeah, for the English comedy scene in Paris, that's kind of what, well, you know, I'm the one uh, tweeting. And so, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the main tweet. I, of course, I have my own account.
0: I, uh, Judah Friedlander's a friend of mine. He wanted to come to Paris. I gave him information. Thank you. You had, you've had, so what have been the highlights of, of, uh,
1: Uh, well, I had, uh, okay, Judah Friedlander last year who did a full show like you did, um, at the, at the SO Gymnast, which is kind of becoming more and more the English comedy. Club, we're trying to make a club out of it, you know, and to really have offer English comedy. The goal is every night of the week, but for the time being, it's Thursday, Friday, it's Saturday, which is already not it's bad. It's a very nice, intimate room, you can, yeah. It's, you, it's could, a, you could
0: use a new curtain in the back, definitely. There are I'm lots su- of improvements I'm su- I'm suggesting red, <laughs> but uh, other than that, very cozy, wonderful yeah, place, yeah. It's, I mean, and it's surprising
1: because when you climb up those steps. You know, there's there's still some things that are still under construction. I've been very frustrated because it was, that, that beautiful theater was actually behind scaffolding for like three years. It came down about six months ago. And I was so happy when it finally came down because as you see, it's a gorgeous theater. Ah, we didn't actually go into the main part. But um, <coughs> when you climb up those stairs, you're like, where am I going? And then when you get to the, to the actual room, uh, yeah, most people are pleasantly surprised with it. The, it's a very cozy room and it's it's nice and you know especially as you felt on Sunday you know if you have 40 people it feels pretty cozy and and you know and it's a nice room to work so due Freelander was here last year uh, highlights we've had Dan Natterman, um, Russ Meneve came but he was actually one of the first people to come over um, uh, Moshe Kasher and Natasha actually came and performed but it was on a night that I wasn't hosting Natasha Leggero. Leggero, Um and I was very pissed not to be there I think I was working a festival at the time but they came on a night and apparently it wasn't one of the best nights because we didn't have that many people that night um who else, Helen Hong who I just actually saw on Facebook that she just did her first Arsenio Hall show um Jenna Friedman, who's a field producer for The Daily Show, very funny, very dark, uh, comic. Loved what she does. She came over, did a half-hour set. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, people who writers on on Jimmy Fallon. Um, probably forgetting some, but but yeah, I mean, uh, some British people uh, came over. And I don't think we've had a big, huge British name yet, but some. People in the British. And then you're
0: having, you know, you're having, there were a lot of French comedians at my show. And then last night I met a guy, the guy who was like the biggest laugher. He was laughing his ass off on the side. And total French Parisian guy. Yeah told me he was the biggest comedy lover. He went to the Edinburgh Festival for yeah. two weeks this year. Yeah. And next year he's going to Montreal. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some there are, French, yeah. English-language comedy fanatics. Yeah, well, it's getting
1: bigger. I mean, stand-up is a relatively new phenomenon here. I would say it's about 15 years old. Um, it's not that comedy is new here.
0: But, but comedy, their style is more like a cabaret yeah, thing. It's, it's more, it's, it, or,
1: what, is, what does that mean? They it's just, coming from theater. Where, where Comedy in the States has been coming from stand-up for a long time now. You know, probably, what, since Lenny Bruce, but even before Lenny Bruce we had Bob Hope. Kind of this idea of a comic who was... Well, I guess it's coming from vaudeville, I guess. You know, kind of the host of the vaudeville show, would do jokes, and then, you know, bring up a dance yeah, act. I think Mark Twain was the first comedian. Probably. Yeah, I mean, and... and um, but, you know, the French have authors who also, you know, so it's not that, that comedy didn't exist here, but comedy was also seen as a theater thing. The big difference, I would say, is the fourth, the idea of the fourth wall, which I guess most comics are familiar with, is the idea that there's a fourth wall between the stage and the audience. So the big thing is whether you address the fact that you are all in the same room, or is there a, an imaginary wall between you and you're an actor acting out a situation that is hypothetical. So France is coming from the theater. Um, So their idea of a one-man show, meaning one person being funny on stage, was coming more from theater, where someone would act a um, as another character, not as themselves, but act as as I kind of said this example, like as as a grandmother complaining about their grandchildren for five minutes, talking to imaginary people who are you know like. Um, let 's say her husband, who we don 't see of course, because it 's a one man show you know and and then the stage will go dark, the person will run off stage, come back, lights go up, the person's going to do a five to ten minute sketch, acting as another character so it 's very character based so it 's very acting based so less uh, less emphasis on on the joke writing of course they 're jokes, but often the, some of the jokes will come just from the person 's acting. American, uh, the whole idea of stand up is yeah, there is no fourth wall. And it's very joke based, you know, and also persona based, as we were ta- talking about earlier. This idea that um, who are you? We want to know who you are, not the character that Tom Rose is going to play, but who is Tom Rose, you know, and, and that, you know, playing on your, yourself. And getting that, uh, the comic aspects of your personality out, out on stage. This is a relatively new concept in France. And uh, the, the person credited with this is named Jamel de Bouze, who is actually in some French films. And uh, because he kind of brought, uh, was in ver- very inspired by uh, black comedy in the States. The idea that Afro American comedians used comedy as a means of expression and talking about racism. In the states, like Richard Pryor did, um, you know, notably, and you know many other people since, um, kind of bringing racism to the forefront. And he did a very similar thing, but with North Africans, Moroccans, Algerians, because that is the, the big racial issue here in France is mostly with North Africans, and uh, that's their big immigration uh, group. And so he kind of he started this by doing a show on Canal Plus called the Jamel Comedy Club, and it was just, you know, nothing new in the States. You know, just, it was just a showcase where he would host, bring up comedians, and, you know, kind of like Premium Blend or, or, you know, any kind of show you'd find on Comedy Central, but this was a relatively new thing, and especially because the comics were talking about race, and most of them were North African or even, you know, uh, from black Africa, and, and they were talking about race, but this hasn't, hadn't been done before. And since then, stand-up has become really uh, uh, fashionable. And, you know, there's even a ca- kind of counter-resistance uh, to it. You know, some people... Because he's given stand-up a certain name now, this whole Jamel movement. Now French think stand-up means you have to be North African to do it. And they see that it's actually <clears throat> limiting. We're on the contrary. Stand-up, there's nothing more open... You know you can do anything it's, you could be Woody Allen, but you can be Chris Rock, you know it's nothing to do with each other so um <clears throat> so yeah, it's a relatively new thing, but it, there's this new generation coming to back to what you're saying of you know anybody who's like f- f- under forty or even you know especially under thirty we're, they, they, these French people are are growing up watching American sitcoms, and if they go dig a little bit further, they're watching you know sitcoms like Louis getting interested, or Seinfeld, you know, and seeing Louis and Seinfeld, both in their sitcoms, or the shows, do stand-up bits. And people getting more and more interested in American comics. And so there is, it's a geeky thing, but yeah, there is this uh, tendency, especially among French comics, to go to the source. Because they know that most of what they're doing is not new by American standards, and so they want to see what the American masters are doing to be inspired.
0: You know. Well, I liked that there were lots of French comedians there checking me out and yeah. what I was doing. So is it like that when you bring in a big name? These Judah we French also, comedians Judah, all come in. And yeah, they're Judah Friedlander.
1: We had several French comics come out. And yeah, they're studying... Or I don't know if it's not there with the you so know. So there'll probably be a French guy soon wearing a trucker hat and uh, yeah, and gaining and and weight. Yeah, and and telling jokes. Pork chop. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, uh, telling jokes about being the the, the world champion. I mean, there, there's uh, you know they're not there with their notebooks. They're they're there um, you know as as someone who you know were, was a bartender at the at the Comedy Connection in Boston for so many years. You absorb. I mean. There's just so much um, you learn by just watching, you know? And, and, you know, of course, not taking jokes, but just taking... Understanding how a joke works. You know, there's only one way, you know, is, is performing and, and watching and absorbing and saying, oh, okay, I get it, you know? He he didn't uh, deliver this information in the setup so that in the punchline, you know, he revealed something that we didn't, you know, or that we took for granted, you know, whatever. that All those tricks of the trade come from watching and so the French people are very uh, interested in in seeing how the Americans work so that's... What what do non-North African French comedians joke about? Kind of things like uh, nothing new probably by American standards but you know relationships is the main thing but even American comics that's universal and everyone's still finding a new angle to talk about it Um, modern technology you know, iPhones, uh, you know, the, the whatever's new, uh, mass transportation, the metro, you know, anything that's uh, that we can all relate to as, excuse me, people speak, uh, living in, in Paris. You know, things that uh, most Americans talk about. Uh, also, well, you know, people are getting, digging deeper and deeper, and, and there's a tendency with um, this new generation also... To To dig deeper within ourselves and to be more and more honest and uh, to perhaps sacrifice a laugh for a bit of uh, honesty, you know, which is, as we ta- talked earlier, is just not necessarily
0: easy to do. and take it's, it's the most powerful. You know, it's interesting, like all the well-written jokes I have when I started doing a lot of these personal stories in the last year. Yeah. And when I talk to people after the show, that's the thing that they remember the most. Yeah. Oh, my God, the story you told about this or that. Yeah. I so mean, I don't know. There's some about the, the true stories from your life that that, that even though someone. like a, a one liner or a joke would get a bigger laugh that the lingering thing in people's brain is some personal story. Shit. Yeah, and and it's funny in another
1: way. It might not be necessarily <laughs> funny. They might not laugh. You know, they might not be bent over laughing at the moment. But it's. It's a funny story that stays, you know what I mean? And and I think, well, I mean, you do a mix. You, you have, you know, incredible one-liners, you know, or, or punchlines, and you also have stories, and that's that's very... It's nice to have that mix. Uh, and I think um, it show. I mean, and, and I think there, it just comes with experience where you're able to assume a story that might, you know... You're saying, okay, I might not get as big a laugh if I just did a one-liner, but, you know... You know that that has more staying power, and that's uh, comes from experience.
0: What about regular humor? Like, what do what are like some French street jokes? Like, what are, what do like regular French people who are not exposed to comedy laugh at? Well, they love what. Another thing that's kind of like,
1: was not very uh, kind of a bit frowned upon even in the United states is, is wordplay. They love wordplay. Uh, anything that like uh, a pun, they are they love. They eat it up. So that, that's, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I can't really think of any specific joke, but just like, they, they see it as a real sign of intelligence, like wit, you know? And, and people who, who are on the same radio show, as I, like there's one girl who is constantly doing wordplay, and people love it. You know, even sometimes it's cheesy, like if you would do the same in the stage, you'd get the audience even going, oh, you know? A pun. Yeah, they love it. They love it so that's one thing general so it's very literal you know literary sorry you know it's uh, they love their language and so when they find ways to play with it that's one thing that they really love they love relationships if you look at like the top sellers um, of plays I'm not talking about one man show well one man show as well but but like oh, like plays are about Relationships. They love. I mean, even in French movies. That's why they love Woody Allen here. They love discussing, exploring the bittersweet uh, aspects of being in a relationship. You know, and um, you know, divorce, marriage, and and you know, getting together and then breaking up, cheating. Oh, what a great subject. You know, all that they they love uh, as as a subject for comedy. Timeless French themes. Yeah and 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 that's that's still there, that's still very prevalent and uh and if you're too weird or too raunchy, it's still uh you know it's it's still you can get away with less um I can get away with more because uh I have an accent and I'm coming from another culture, and that's my advantage, like I can say a curse word in my mouth because I have an accent it's charming where a French person who come off as vulgar, but it's um But ironically, even though, like, on French radio, you can say more curse words than you can on American radio, you know, because there's more censorship in the States as far as words are concerned. Uh, You can't, if if you're too raunchy, you can be uh, kind of categorized as a raunchy comic. Where I feel in the States, because we're, like, 30 years down the road, you know, I don't think there's anything raunchy about you. I've seen your oh, no no I'm pretty I'm I, no I I'm, I'm pretty clean. As lovable and tame as No, I mean I, I have some things that are that I bring out for special occasions, you know like, you know, that that's getting more raunchy. But yeah, by American standards it wouldn't be seen that that bad. Uh I mean for probably the worst thing I said that you saw was, was this the the midwife joke which I said last night where I said that the, the midwives uh, because they're called sage femme, which means wise woman, I imagine them as like a 30 year old pirate, uh, sorry, 60 year old pirate with years of experience of sailing the high seas of amniotic fluid, who'd cut the umbilical cord with her teeth, you know, kind of things like that. Uh, that kind of raunch, but you know, I'm in front of an international audience. Sometimes, you know, people come out to the show, they, they're expecting to see a pretty clean show about being an American in France. And, you know, if I throw them a curveball, I like it sometimes, of course. But no, I, I'm not... No, I wouldn't consider myself uh, such a uh, dirty comic. Uh, but I do appreciate it, and I do throw them in from time to time. What is your favorite thing about living in Paris? Uh, I think probably the fact that I'm not from here. Like, this this constant uh, game that I play with myself where, like... One day I feel I want to play the Parisian. One day I want to I play the the expat, and um, I'm constantly I realize I'm constantly going back and forth between these two roles. Uh, I mean I'm very integrated here. You know I have a French girlfriend, I have a French baby. I speak most of my friends are French. Well, besides the American comics in in the comedy scene, but I'm you know I I don't frequent many Americans. you know, I don't seek out American. I don't go to American bars necessarily. I don't go to American diners. You know, I don't seek that out. So uh, I'm pretty integrated here, and I like playing that card. But then, when I want to, especially like when it comes to my job, play the oh, I'm I'm a just a naive Candide uh, person. You know, experiencing all this for the for uh, the first time, and I like playing that card because it often gives me an excuse to play this naive card, you know, and, and it gives me an excuse to to play dumb often. And, God, I don't know why, but I still like to play dumb uh, when it comes to just anything. So great comedy tool. It, it is a great comedy tool, and I like that. What did you most get out of Voltaire's Candide? Oh, God, I don't know if I remember. Uh, I guess that, uh, I don't even really remember... I read it. I know I read it, but I don't... Voltaire's picture right there. Yeah. And and you have that wonderful quote. Um, God is
0: a comedian playing in front of an audience, too afraid afraid to to laugh. laugh. It's wonderful. That's Voltaire, baby. It's a great, great quote. Went to his tomb yesterday to prime me up for my 30th anniversary as a comedian because he was the genius of mockery. What is the greatest advice you've ever been given as a comedian? Don
1: Gavin... Do you know who he is? Yeah. yeah, Don Gavin, who was a regular on the Boston Comedy Scene, who would perform at the Comedy Connection pretty much every Wednesday. Uh, before I say the quote, I just want to say, like, he is a master. He is a master. And I was surprised to see, one just experience from being at the Comedy Connection, was to see how local Boston Comics would be often, if not well, better than the headliners who are coming, national headliners. What you know, fifty percent of the time, Don Gavin would have a would be much funnier than a visiting comic. Uh, that was something that impressed me because Don Gavin is not very well known compared to Pauly Shore, for example. Uh, and but Don Gavin was great. Don Gavin gave me the advice is uh, never listen to any advice.
0: Good advice. Oh, good advice, right? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Um, <laughs> uh, Sebastian, you're you're a beautiful man. I, I thank you for uh, bringing me to Paris, putting on these shows. Well, and thank you. you. it's really special that you, you brought the cake out with the thirty <laughs> candles for me. It was a it was a great pleasure. What do you? Uh, I mean, what do you think? You're never going to go back to the states? This is the be all end all? I don't know. I mean, I want. You to You seem go back to be to having a really nice career. here. I mean,
1: I want to go back to the states, but I know that if I were go to back to the states, I'd start from scratch. Right. I mean, not you know. I have now. And you got a, You're an established person here. Yeah. Well, I'm starting to be. I mean, I'm, I'm. You know, it's. I'm living off what I'm doing, so I'm not making a, a great living, but you know, I, I'm making enough to get by, and that's already a great treat. And many comics cannot necessarily say that. In this you know, very funny comics, can necessarily say that back in the States. So, yeah, I mean, of course, thanks to all this, I've gained lots of stage experience and, and jokes, and, and you know I'm definitely have made lots of progress as a, as a comic. But if I were to go back to the states, you know, no matter what scene it would be, New York, LA, I would be starting from scratch as far as establishing myself. And what I would lose is this uh, originality that I have anywhere here, you know, especially if I'm performing in French right away. It's amazing how many times I've performed on a showcase, and people can be chatting in the room through other comics to set. When I get on stage, everyone listens to me. It's amazing, just because I have an accent. They're not sure if it's real, they're not sure if I'm playing, but it's, I have, like, I demand respect, you know, even without doing anything, just because I'm weird. That is very useful and and I would lose that if I were to go back to the states um, but but I would um yeah, but m- mostly would be starting from scratch, so perhaps one day I will, but you know uh, it would be it would be fun, it would be another adventure ironically, and of course, I would be going back with my French girlfriend and French baby, which would be another whole adventure, so uh the, enjoy those health care payments yeah that's it 's you know every time. Because my girlfriend and I, we've been thinking about going back to New York just for a year, just for the fun of it. But when we think, like, and if our daughter gets sick, you know, uh, like, you know, well, more than just a, you know, a fever, you know, what, what would we really do? You know, you cough up the, the money and, you know, it's kind of uh, When you know that would be free back home, it's, it's hard. But, no, uh, it's not uh, a plan for in the near future, let's say. right. It, so it's permanently moved back to the States. Well, I love
0: the scene that you have here and the, the enthusiasm of the comedians that um, are the local scene, of the French comedians and the internationals that are all here.
1: Well, well what I said to Dan Natterman, um well, we've talked about I don't know if it, he said it first or I said it, but it was like that, that the French comedy scene is kind of like how the American comedy scene was in the 80s. Like, it's still defining itself. It's still new. You know and so that's there's this freshness that's here that's very fun that's very interesting you know <laughs> and, and and like it feels more that like each individual comic can make more of a difference than in you know the states the the market has almost become saturated with so many people wanting to be you know the next Seinfeld or whatever you know trying to get that next sitcom deal here it's still new and that's interesting that's a lot of fun it's exciting because anything could happen yeah you could go anywhere yeah and, and one player can really change the game, um, even more so than, than in, in the States. So that, that's, it's, it is an exciting place to be in this career. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, I applaud what you're doing. Uh, if you're listening, follow at Comedy Paris. Yeah. If you're coming to Paris, this is the Get spot to do a set. Yeah. And uh, in closing... Do you have any words of wisdom or advice? you oh, like I, I to can't give the people. In the I,
1: world? I can't top uh, Don Gavin's advice. I think that's that's uh, go go travel. I guess would be the advice. I think I think traveling is whether you you come come back home uh, and have jokes from abroad. Like you know, you, you have just. I, I think it's just uh, the best school for everything
0: is travel. I agree. All right, my brother. Long may you run, Sebastian. Long <laughs> may you run. Thanks a lot, Amigo. Thanks a lot.